Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody out in the iTunes SoundCloud podcast stratosphere. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown, my obsession. Uh, We love you, John. We miss you, John. Uh, Today I have with us someone I have known for 90% of my life. He has worked on Broadway, off-Broadway. He's currently working on the national tour of the Donna Summer Musical, or sorry, Summer, the Donna Summer Musical. Uh, please welcome to the pod, Mr. Michael Bello. Mike Bello, Michael? Uh, truly either. I mean, I just call you Mike, but I don't know if like your professional name is Michael. Yeah, professionally, she's a Michael. Professionally, she's a Michael. Um, hello, Michael. Hello. Uh, welcome to our pod. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Michael, how many years have I actually known you? Oh, I mean, probably. Okay, you've asked me to do math, and I'm an artist. Uh, but so you're a director. She's a director, so like you should know numbers. True. I, f- truly, like 26 years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we started preschool at three years old. Yeah. She just right. aged herself <laughs> on a podcast. But she, yeah. So. To interested listeners, Michael has worked on Summer of the Donna Summer Musical on Broadway. He knows LaShawn's. It's a big deal. Uh, he worked on Dr. Zhivago. Both of those are Des Mackinoff productions. Yes. Uh, he also directed the off-Broadway premiere of We Are the Tigers. I mean, some would call it a sensation. Some might call it an off-Broadway sensation. Um... I was going to make a reference, but the song that I was going to reference got cut. Oh. I say, everybody wants to be her. It happens. I'll never forgive you guys for cutting that I, song. I know, I know. You, you, and a f- few, uh, we have had a professional podcasting disaster. No, it's fine. My thingy just fell down. Oh, we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. Keep going. No, I was telling Matthew that we've been friends for 26 years, and this is the most professional thing I've ever done. Like, there's microphones and speakers and everything. I know. I, I don't fuck around with this podcast. Just no. because I talk about fucking around doesn't mean I fuck around. It's, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, that, that was my very brief bio. But what made you decide directing was your thing? Is it just because, like, you've been bossy all your life? <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, my parents say that I have always been a director, even though, as you know, there was a, a phase of acting mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, but uh, you and me both squirrel. Yes, yes, we all we all start as actors. Um, no, I think I've always been uh, more interested in putting 
the show together mm-hmm. than I was in being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, my parents tell me all the time that I used to take all of the Disney action figures on those, like, remember those pop-up books that were like the sets from all of the animated movies? Yep. 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 That I would like play the movie and take the action figures and essentially like direct the action figures through the movies on what was like probably the most glamorous scenic design I had in 15 years. Yeah. Um, in those pop-up books. But, um, yeah, so I, I I always sort of had that instinct to corral other people into putting on the show. Um, and, like, I started a theater company at my church when I was eight. We did a production of a, bro- a musical review called Broadway's Back. Um, there is video for Where did somewhere. it go? Oh, it, it, it lived and died out of town. Oh, no. Um, uh, but, but Broadway did indeed come back to uh, the First Presbyterian Church of Englewood. Uh, and uh, somewhere there's video of me dancing around in a cat costume while a boombox played Jellicle Cats and we sang along. I love it. Um, but that was my directorial debut. That is quite the debut to have. Yeah, yeah. Broadway, Broadway left and then, and then I brought it back. Yes, you did. Billy, I'd like to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. What, in your opinion, makes a good director? Hmm. That's a tricky question to answer because I think every director is different. Sure, but there are some pillars Uh, there. There are some pillars. I think uh, a good director is a good leader. Mm -hmm. I think that is honestly first and foremost the thing that every director needs to have um, because essentially your job is to get a small or large group of people to agree with your vision and to, you know, join your team and bring it to life. Mm. And uh, when you sit down and think about it, it's sort of like a bizarre amount of power to have. Um, but it's a lot like, you know, childhood playground games. Like there's, it is. I mean, like, I know, I know. I'm just remembering you as a yeah, child on the playground. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you, you're getting all of your friends together to like do something and, and, and this time they're paid to listen to you. Right. And, so it's you know, lovely. and I think that, uh, that quality only intensifies the larger the show gets and mm-hmm. the, you know, multi-million dollar budgets that are on your shoulders. <laughs> Um, so I think leader, I think being a leader is mm-hmm. a really good, uh, is probably the most important thing to have. I mean, and, and then all of the things that come with that, you know, being kind and, you know, all of those things I sure. think are important. I mean, and, and then there's the artistic side of it, you know, the ability to to see the show mm-hmm. in your mind and to uh, collaborate with other artists to bring that vision to life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's why when I read scripts, the the scripts that I always pursue to direct are the ones where when I read them, I can see what they look like. Yes. In my mind. If if I can't see it in my mind, how to bring it to life on stage, I'm always like, okay, is this something that mm-hmm. I really want to do? And the answer usually at this point in my career is still yes. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that, but that's mm-hmm. a different, that's yeah. the, the more artistic. Well, yeah, every, every, every director has their, uh, uh, Talents. I know uh, people like Joe Mantello and Bartlett Sher are more like actors, directors, and I mean they do have a flair for the visuals, but like they, that's where their meat is. And then people like Hal Prince was famously a very visual director. He was more concerned with how the show looked, and he would cast actors who he trusted 
to get the work done. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, you know, the more directors I assist, the more I tell actors that the greatest skill an actor can have is the ability to assess what kind of director they're working with. Mm -hmm. Because I think every director needs to be a fantastic leader. But in turn, they lead in different ways. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, some directors lean to visual art, some directors lean to acting. um, And I think... As an actor, you need to look at the room and say, okay, I am in this kind of room. I am in a room where the director is going to work with me and analyze every line and motivate every cross, and and that's a wonderful room to be in. Or you say, oh, I'm in a room where the director is thinking more about the big picture, and he's going to tell me to get, he or she is going to tell me to get from point A to point B, and it's my job to, you know, motivate that and figure that out. and 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 that I have seen actors rise and fall on on that skill and that uh, ability. Yeah, as do we all. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been years coming. Yes. That Mike and I are going to talk about this. Mike, what is your obsession? My obsession is the original Broadway cast album for Big the Musical. Yes. Big the Musical is based off of what movie? Big. Starring? Tom Hanks. Yes. What? So, let's pretend some of our listeners are not familiar with the movie or the musical. Briefly summarize what it's about. Uh, and I'm not an expert in the movie, so... They follow pretty, pretty similarly. Great, 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 great. Um, Big is a ba- about a young boy named Josh Baskin, mm-hmm. who uh, is in love with a girl in his high school. Uh, I be- her Cynthia name Benson. Cynthia Benson. As and side note, I love the actress who plays Cynthia Benson on the original cast recording. Her line readings are gold. Golden. Um, and he's trying to, you know, look cool with Cynthia at the carnival Mm -hmm. and uh, he's too short to get on a roller coaster and Cynthia is dating a boy who famously drives Mm -hmm. which is important this is Derek he drives and uh, Josh goes to visit Zoltar the carnival machine and wishes to be big and uh, the next morning he wakes up and is 32 30 32 Um, and then you know chaos and hilarity ensues Mm -hmm. And he beca- he starts working at a toy company, and you know he changes a lot of people's lives, including and- a woman named Susan Lawrence. Yeah, Susan, they start a relationship. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, is it? I mean, because <laughs> we have a lot to discuss it's, it's, with it's Susan. A, it, it is a gray area, uh, but yes, yeah, Susan is a uh, stereotypical uptight businessy businesswoman who only cares about business. Yeah, and then because and she works at this toy company that Josh kind of falls into working at and falls into success at. Yes. Um, because he's technically a 13-year-old in right. a grown he man's knows body. Toys. And he knows what kids like. Um, and, yeah, she approaches him, like, as a grown woman trying to seduce him, and he's, like, 13 and doesn't really understand all the subtleties of adult communication. Yeah. Um, and uh, they slowly do eventually get, a, uh, get into a relationship, but indirectly he also helps her acknowledge her inner child so she remains like a woman she's an adult but like to still be able to enjoy life the way that children do but like i still i was listening to it again to prepare Mm. for this podcast Mm -hmm. through a 2019 lens Mm -hmm. and uh i can't wait for the sequel to big that is written by janine tesori and lisa crone that really analyzes the emotional trauma (laughs) that susan is left with 
uh, realizing right. that she fell in love with and may or may not have slept, totally slept with, with. She totally slept um, with him. A 13 year old boy. Yeah. Uh, and I know he was a grown up. He was 32 at the time. But like, I, you listen to that album and it's still a little bit like, this is weird. Yeah. Um, so big famously did not do well on Broadway. No. It lasted a little less than six months. Even though Matt and I famously both saw it. We both saw it on the Broadway. It was one on of the, the things Broadway. that uh, bonded us as uh, children. We both had the cast album. Yes. N- knew every inch of that shit. And like many a play date with the secret handshake from inside the souvenir program. Yeah, that taught you how to do the yes. how to, taught you how to do the handshake. and Billy, his best friend, had a very intricate secret handshake. Yes. Billy, the best friend, is another important role. He's yes. the only one who figures out what happened to Josh. One and it's Biggs. their job to find out how to get him to change back. Yes. And he was one of Big's only two acting Tony nominations. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, we can get into that, too, uh, because also to prepare for this podcast, in addition to listening to the cast album again, which is, like, no hardship. I I unabashedly oh, love so that score. There are a couple tracks, though. Like There are a couple songs that I don't Susan's love. Susan's Friends. Yeah, that one I feel like plays better on stage. Sure. Uh, like, I was listening to it, and there's all this music playing where I'm like, I feel like that's dialogue. That And so some of the stuff they sing is in reaction to, like, awkward dialogue, and that's probably more humorous in action. But, yeah, no, I usually skip it. I also, I also skip One Special Man, uh, which is Susan's ballad when he, Josh tries to tell her that he's 13, she doesn't believe him, and she like is she's like, what the fuck's going on with my boyfriend? Um, and in the new version of Big, it's her only solo. No, that's not true. It's is not? it? So, well, okay. So, okay. I mean, so you saw a recent version of it. I Big. did. I only know what's, what was, li- what has been licensed with MTI. Okay. Sorry. We're going to backtrack a little bit. Yes. We're so in addition to listening to the cast album, there's also a book on Big, the musical called Making It Big. And it's, uh, it tracks the entire pro- uh, journey of Big the Musical from idea to closing night on Broadway. Um, a lot of drama with that show. Uh, Big, famously, uh, the season of uh, on Broadway 1995 to 1996 did not get a Best Musical nomination, which was surprising to most people because there were, A, not very many new musicals that year. Um, and But because I have to Google, because mm-hmm. I was looking at the 1996 Tony Awards, which yes. was the year of, of Rent. Rent. And Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk. That so, was like... The thing. Big, I mean, didn't well, stand a chance. I mean, no, we were and they knew with they Rent. weren't going to win when Rent opened. But the other two nominees for Best Musical. Oh, I know this. I can tell you because I'm me. Swinging on a Star and yeah. Chronicle of a Death Foretold. I mean, which, and that was the thing is both shows had closed by the time the nominations came out, which is fine. Like that, that's happened since and it happened before then. But like neither show was that well received. Chronicle of a Death Foretold, I think Michael most people, John Lacusa. Additional um, material. For Chronicle of a Death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think Tanya Pinkett was in it, too. Oh, it's based on a Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Was I think Graciela oh. Danielle was the director yes. of that. Yes. And she wrote book and lyrics. Uh, Swinging on a Star was a musical review of songs from, like, the 30s and 40s. I want to say it was John uh, Johnny Mercer, but don't quote me on that. It's the, would you like, like to, to swing, swing on, on a star? star? Yeah, but, like... It's that in addition to other songs, and there's nothing wrong with reviews. Smokey Joe's Cafe and Ain't Misbehaving are great, um, but it was very surprising. Like Big was uh, an, a new musical with a book and lyrics, and was generally well received, or rather better received than people anticipated, because they had their out of town tryout in Detroit and famously like got ripped to shreds by all the critics. Came to New York, 
got a very nice review in the New York Times and a couple of other reviewers were like, it's actually quite good. And they were doing very good business. They got nominated for the Drama Desk, the Outer Critics Circle. Everybody's like, I think this will happen. And they got nominated for score and book. Yes. And choreography and two acting nominations, but not musical. And the last time I can think of that happening was Legally Blonde. Which is which is also an obsession. Yeah, I love Legally Blonde, but it's like, how can a show be nominated for its score and its book, but not the show itself? I don't know. Um, so it, at the time, a lot of people were like, I feel like this was a personal vendetta because uh, there was a lot of hatred towards the show as well because F.A.O. Schwartz became one of the producers. So there was a whole story going for it about how it was pure commercialism and Broadway was selling out. Little did they know, 23 years later, how far we'd come. Like, right. every movie studio now is a Broadway producer. Like, um, I was listening to Big this week, and I think there's something really lovely about the album because it sounds so early 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, the, orchest- the orchestrations and the dance arrangements and everything is a real instrument and it's mm-hmm. not really a lot of synthesizers. And it sounds so of its time, but on a producing level, it feels so of like the early 2000s. Mm. Like when we were dealing with Legally Blonde and 9 to 5 and all of those sort of like, I mean, and honestly, even now, Tootsie. Mm-hmm. And we we have so many of these mega movie adaptations. Mm-hmm. And Big feels like it was one of the first ones to sort of come in and do that. That is, yes, I think... Big, there have been movies adapted into musicals before Big, but Big feels a little different, maybe because they, it's, it was such an iconic movie and the musical came out pretty soon after the movie came out. So there was, it felt to a lot of people like they were taking advantage of a very popular property and that there are, the, the reasoning for a lot of people who didn't like the show was that it felt like the team adapted it to make money not to create a good show which is ironic because when you read making it big uh the idea for writing this show didn't come from a movie studio or, or a corporation it came from composer david shire's wife dd khan famously the original frenchie in uh grease the movie i say original there's no other frenchie in the in the grease movies right um <laughs> well there is carly ray jepson right grease that's, live. that's grease live but sh- um Didi Khan is Frenchy in the Grease movie. He apologizes to the gay community for that sound. I'm sorry, gay community, but you know what she did. Carly um, Rae Jepsen is an icon. Not in Grease Live. Uh, Didi Khan is an icon, especially because she was the one who came up with the idea. She was watching Big on TV. She was like, David, you and your writing partner, Richard Maltby Jr., who the two have done many great stuff together, Baby, Starting Here, Starting Now, love them. Uh, she was like, this could be your next Broadway show. I think this could be really good for you guys. Um... And I love so much of what they did. I think the music, so much. the music is really beautiful. A lot of it, it is very like grand, uh, like Broadway orchestra. And then so every grand. now and then they'll like insert some '90s like sound, if that makes sense. It's the one thing about Big to me that kind of dates it is that um, you'll hear like it's not a synthesizer. Maybe it is. It's like in the opening number, you hear like what sounds sort of almost like a Game Boy sound. Like when they juxtapose the adults with the children Mm -hmm. in the overture, like I think on level with like the Gypsy Overture is the big overture (laughs) in my book because it's like this beautiful like violins and all of this, and then they slam in this like percussion video game like and it's it literally like. 10-year-old me, sit, well, actually, six-year-old me sitting through Big mm-hmm. was like, these 12-year-olds are badasses. Like, oh, yeah. They're, they're doing dance breaks because nothing was ever more ingenious than a dance break that is accented by Slurpee Cups. Yes. Like, Susan never Stroman. 
like Susan Stroman would and like <laughs> never has anyone done it again? No. Like an entire ballet where the 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 dance hits are Slurpee cups shaking ice and straws in mm-hmm. a cup and like these kids are rapping about the mall mm-hmm. which is un- unbelievably badass but then they dance with Slurpees <laughs> they and do. it's it it really changed the game. It really did. I would say without a doubt and I stake my claim on this and people can fight me on this. The biggest mark big left in the Broadway community was what we started to ask of our child actors. Mm. Because until Big, you had child actors who were like, you know, the Gavroche. nephew. Yeah, Gavroche, like the nephew and Mame. Like, biggest ask we had until that point were the Annie orphans who had to sing loud and like, dance kind of cute. Big was the first time where there was a true ensemble of ch- child actors who like, had to dance and like, sing. Before there was Matilda, there mm-hmm. was Big. those kids were badasses. They he, were. Like, when Billy, my favorite line in the whole musical, I'm like, can you read my mind? Is and it the exactly. rap part? Yes. yes. And he goes, nothing's, nothing's worse crap than a little white Polish boy from Jersey talking rap. And that's when the Slurpees come in. And I, I, six-year-old me thought that was the coolest thing that's ever happened. Oh, yeah. Um, in truth, like, I love everything about that score it's been so long since i've seen the show obviously but like i still have their images still burned in my brain i remember the show curtain i remember at the curtain call they were throwing out paper airplanes with like big stickers all over it and you better believe that when they threw out those paper airplanes i ran it was like the hunger games in those aisles with the kids in the audience six of them yes i grabbed all as many as i could and i held on to that paper airplane for the better part of a year yeah i remember vividly because it was at the schubert theater Mm -hmm. and i my parents took me as a gift for graduating the second grade what a beautiful and gift. I have a vivid memory of standing across the street from the Schubert Theater, which is like now a Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Or like by Sardi's. And I had no idea where we were going. And they sh- brought me these tickets for big. And I f- was freaking out. Like it was the greatest thing that's ever happened. I, I saw it with my mom, my sister, and my grandmother. And I don't remember. I don't think I was told we were going. I don't know. I didn't like freak out about it. I think I was excited, but I have a distinct memory of standing outside the theater waiting to go in, like, on the mm-hmm. side of the Schubert. I remember where we sat in the orchestra towards the left. Um, I remember the I remember the curtain. I remember uh, when... I have a distinct image in my head of when Josh is too short to go on the ride. And Cynthia Benson says her iconic See ya, Josh! It's her line readings to this day. Her. If I ever meet her, I will say to her face, See ya, Josh! Uh, I don't don't think a blonde on Broadway has been that iconic until Taylor Louderman is Regina George. It's true. Yeah. A a teenage blonde on Broadway from Cynthia Benson to Regina Regina George. George. Uh, Just amazing line delivery. Have you been on this ride before? Is it scary? I'm I'm excluding Elle Woods because she wasn't a teenager. She wasn't a teenager, no. But she's an iconic blonde. She is. Her line readings don't mean as much to me as Cynthia Benson's. And it's important to note that Cynthia Benson, by the way, the, the girl who's the catalyst of this whole entire story, is only featured in one song of the entire album and it's just dialogue but her dialogue is incredible yeah uh, and i'm not i'm not being shady i mean it but so so when josh is too short to go on the ride he jumps on his skateboard and i remember this because he like faces the audience and he jumps on a skateboard and for some reason like sparks went off 
Like it was it was an image to like show just how intensely he had to skateboard away from her. So he's like he jumps on the skateboard and the set changes to show that he's like in the shady part of the carnival and that's where Zoltar is. I just I have that distinct image of him jumping on the skateboard and the sparks flying. Um Susan yeah. Stroman. Susan Stroman. And then I also remember uh uh dancing all the time. I remember that song and I also remember the staging for Josh's nightmare in act two because mm-hmm. Josh turns uh, 13 in the show and in act two when we come back to find him because the first part of act two has the iconic rap song yes. and then his mom sings the most beautiful song in the world time to hang with my gang out at the mall yes but then his mom doesn't sing that his mom sings stop time which is a gorgeous song okay but I have a question about stop time question because I was just listening to it Verse three, lyrically, is exactly what a mother would sing if her 12-year-old son went missing. Like, bring him home. Like, I'll be a better parent. Bring him home. Like, I want my child back. Verses one and two are like, I guess it's time to let go. I guess it's time for him to leave. And I'm like, that's not the appropriate response when your 12-year-old has run away. I don't get that impression from the first two lyrics. I think it's more to emphasize, like, she's used to having to say goodbye to her child, but this is different. Like, you're used to... because he's missing. (laughs) The stakes are high. I know, but he's also, like, been missing for a month at this point. I know, so presumably dead. Yeah, well, it's a a little less Winona Ryder and Stranger Things of, like, where's my child? And at this point, I think it's more sort of, like, my child could be dead. And so it's just, like, it's a quiet resignation of, I still have hope, but it's, like, a flicker of a match. Nobody warns you of this parent's paradox you want your kid to change and grow but when he does another child you've just begun to know i mean big is the gift that keeps on giving in a lot of ways because at uh, when we first discovered it, mm-hmm. like while we were obsessed with Big at Six and the rest of the world was caring about rent. Yeah. Like, uh, but we were oblivious to rent. It took us a while. To it get took us rent. a while. But I, I mean, appropriately for a six year old. Like, sure. It took us a while. But at that age, it was all about the 12 year old content. Like, mm-hmm. the teen content was the only content that mattered. Like, I wanted to sing all of Josh's songs and my mm-hmm. voice recitals. Mm-hmm. Like, I was a child. Then, like, you get to acting class in college and suddenly dancing all the time is important. Mm -hmm. And I want to go home is important. And, like, you realize that the adult material, lyrically, is complex and challenging. And the album just, like, becomes this whole nother level. And now I listen to it with some professional experience. And I'm like, oh, those orchestrations, those Mm -hmm. dance arrangements. Oh, yeah. Things I had no idea I was listening to at the age of six. There are levels. There are so many levels to Big the Musical. I remember the exact moment when I rediscovered Dancing All the Time, which is Susan Lawrence, busy businesswoman Susan Lawrence's big act two song. And it's the moment where she really starts to fall in love with Josh when it's... The first half. The second half is a little Well, Well, the second half becomes his inner monologue um which his 12 year old self's inner monologue yes which we'll get to because there's they had complications with that oh yeah um when they were writing it but uh it's the song dancing all the time where they're the two of them are brainstorming about a new toy for the company that they now work for and obviously he knows what it's like to be 12 right and but he asks her like do you remember and she sings dancing all the time she was young and, and alive. alive but the song that I still have an image in my brain about, it's the song before this, when Josh has the nightmare, 
about him turning 13. And Happy it's birthday, Josh. Birthday, Josh. It, which speaks candles on the cake. cake. With like, starting now you're getting old. Everyone knows on this podcast how much I adore percussion. I think oh, it's yeah. like the sexiest thing in Broadway. The percussion in that song, because it's just, it's the kids singing a cappella, clapping, and then like some timpani or whatever, just like banging away deeply. And it, it makes me happy. But I remember the image because it was a pitch black stage. Josh's adult Josh is lying on a couch in the middle of the stage. And the kids come up from behind the couch holding a, a flame birthday cake. And it was just so, oh God, I loved it so much. Because we've been like just talking about let's let's get into it. Okay. What song then are we gonna discuss first? Like where do I I think we have to start with the opening number. Fantastic. Like it, the opening number I is so good. It is. And just the parents and the children yelling at each other. I mean, and some of this is nostalgia, just because again at six I thought they were such badasses. Mm-hmm. But when Billy shouts, why don't you do it? When all of the parents are like, you have to take the garbage out. And Billy just literally sass ball changes all over the opening number. It it will never not be important to me. Of course not. The actor who plays Billy, who, by the way, was Tony nominated. Where is he now? I, I tried to find him on Instagram. I couldn't. <laughs> I was like, is he a thought now? Like, I, I tried really hard to find him. <laughs> he, his line readings are just like, an old Jewish man is trapped in a 13-year-old's body. It's exactly. great. Well, um, and, and it was personified because Billy was the alto. Yes. Like, Josh was the soprano and Billy was the alto. Yes. So, Billy like, you knew that voice. Billy had a little more edge because mm-hmm. Billy was belting. Yes, he was. And I... I mean, you know from the beginning of that... of the overture into that song, mm-hmm. you're in for a big Broadway musical yes. because every string and woodwind in the world starts on the... And then they play the melody of Josh's inner thoughts in Act 2, the problematic song, quote-unquote. The uh, musical motifs that run through the score are mm-hmm. really great. Oh, like, yeah. I Want to Go Home shows up a lot. You oh, know, yeah. uh, Talk to Her shows up a lot. Like, I mean, they're the, really The complex. musical motif of Can't Wait pops up all the time. Yeah. Uh, the ba-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah. um, which is the Can't Wait is a combination of songs where the children can't wait to grow up and the parents can't... all also wait for the children well, to grow up. Most specifically, the children can't wait to go to the carnival. Well, no, that's that's act, that's the second song. They're, the first song is all about how they want their parents to leave them alone because yeah, they're well, at that wonderful age of 12. Why can't I just do things on my own? Exactly. And teaching kids at, these age right, at this age right now, I can tell you that 12-year-olds, and I'm sure we were the same way. Oh, the worst. So when you're when you're eight or nine, you, start, you suddenly start to realize that words and sentences have meaning. It's like, you first learn how to speak, then you are able to put your words together, and then around eight or nine, you realize the effect that words can have on other people. So you're like, oh, if I say this to you, well, you will react this way. In between then, I would say, because I had a teaching past until six years old, mm-hmm. and then my students aged out of my class, but first you learn how to speak, then you learn how to be obnoxious. Mm. Then... At eight or nine, you figure out how to marry those two things. Absolutely. And then you're unstoppable. Yes. But then 12, 13-year-olds weirdly start to think that, like, 
they're on par with adults. It's a very odd phenomenon where, and I'm, again, I'm sure we were the same way, where it's like you've grown past the uh, discovery that obnoxiousness and words can come together to create an effect, and you've started to like hone in on it a bit, and you now think that you know everything and that oh, you've seen everything. You're talking to someone who made their high school drama teacher cry. Oh, you're amazing. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but it happened. <laughs> thoughts on that opening number the opening number i mean i think the opening number really expertly sets up the conflict at the heart of the show which Mm -hmm. is like growing up and grown-ups versus kids and finding your finding your inner child and i think the opening number in a world where none of the people on stage can know those things yet because Mm -hmm. you have to live the musical to learn those things Mm -hmm. um you know it it sets up that the grown-ups think teenagers are awful and the teenagers think grown-ups are awful Mm -hmm. and now audience here we go we're going to spend a two-hour journey making these two groups of people understand each other better Mm -hmm. if i were to summarize the story of the show in one sentence is that at the beginning they can't wait and at the end of the show they realize they can wait yeah (laughs) i guess that's actually exactly what big is yeah well i remember getting off topic here shocking for this podcast but i remember in eighth grade we were reading romeo and juliet in uh english class and romeo and juliet people forget like how young those characters are she's 13 you think he's like 16 yes um they're teenagers they're impulsive teenagers and our teacher said to us like at the end of it she says so what is one of the things you can learn from this play she was like just take a moment like think about it for a second what a take poetic a second. english teacher she was like there are always things to think about and there are always things to wait for mm-hmm. um she's like oh there's always there's also time for action but like you like think before you act. I don't know if you feel this way. I know I feel this way. I remember when I was younger, like time could not pass by fast enough. It oh, felt 100%. so slow. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, again, kids are obsessed with forever, not just in like terms of I'm going to live forever, but like everything's taking forever. Why can't things speed up? And yeah. big is about how, when you do take away the waiting, you miss so much. Um, but now I'm, like, turning 30, and I still feel like a 12-year-old, so, like, it's well, all a charade. I mean, I have the emotions of a 12-year-old, but time passes by quickly for me like an adult now. So it's... All the things that I want or desire, they come by so fast that it's like, if I don't act fast enough, I have to grab it. I just had a moment with my mom on Friday night. I'm going out of town to mm-hmm. do a summer, the Donna Summer Musical in Rochester, New York, coming to a city near you, uh, and I'm leaving for a month, over which I will turn 30. And I uh, said to my mom, I was like, the next time I see you, I will be 30. And I think I have, my mom is not like a super emotional woman. She's like amazing. And I'm obsessed with her. But I think my mom was going to cry. Oh, my God. Like it, it sort of just like rocked her world mm-hmm. to be like, and like it rocks my world too. Like, just like it feels like, and I'll like, we'll record episode two once I'm 30. Mm-hmm. But like in my brain right now, a month out, it feels like this massive like 30 like I cannot possibly be a child anymore mm-hmm. like I'm turning 30 well that's that brings us back to stop time for a minute stop. Yes. which is when Josh so when Josh has grown up 
and he tries to tell his mom what happens. She's convinced that grown-up Josh has kidnapped her son, so he runs out the door. So the entire rest of the show, his mom is convinced that he's been kidnapped. Um, and we don't see her again for the majority of Act 1. Does mom ever figure out what happened? No. 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 The Mom's only just, like, the only two people the who Yeah, the only two people who find out what happened are Billy and Susan. And Susan goes to therapy. Yeah, Susan goes to intense therapy. But... Uh, Josh's mom shows up again at the beginning of Act 2 after the kids have their big, like, amazing, epic rap battle at the mall. And she sings Stop Time. And, like, those two earlier verses, the one that you famously said, are about how she's okay with letting go of children. Yeah, she's like, maybe I just have to let him go. No, I mean... Maybe he's dead in a gutter, bitch. I mean, I think... No, but this is what I'm getting at, is that she talks about, and this is bringing it back to your mom, Jill, uh, all all those birthdays and, like, moments that she fell in love with her child all over again and then had to say goodbye like those were little deaths and like little hardships Mm. that each time and like she hated it each time and now she's like i just bring him back to me and i will learn to like let go of all the other stuff because like now that he's literally gone those other goodbyes mean nothing anymore like that's just life at the time it was the worst thing in the world but now like this is the worst thing in the world so bring him back and i will learn to like say goodbye to each age that he has it's like next time on chicken soup for the parents soul mm-hmm. sung by barbara walsh i will also make a side before note that there was dear evan hansen there was stop time there was i will say as we continue onwards barbara walsh is josh's mom and krista moore uh, as Susan Lawrence, both of them Tony nominees before this show. Uh, but only one for Big. Only one for Big. Uh, Even though Barbara Walsh is in the diva track that, like, should get the featured actress nomination. Um, if like, they, Well, if that show had opened today, first of all, there are more Tony nominee slots now right. than there were then. She absolutely would. It's a princess I feel like track. if Big were to open today, the Susan track is actually the thankless white woman that mm-hmm. wouldn't get the Tony nomination, but Barbara Walsh would. Absolutely. Like, that would be like Mary Beth Peel in, in Anastasia, Anastasia yes. getting the Tony nomination. It's the princess track that has a lot of meat to it. Yes. Um, but both of those women, I'm obsessed with their voices because they have these very, very strong belts and lovely mixes, but they there's no blend in between the two. So it's basically, yeah. it's just like a very powerful Broadway belt and then they flip. Well, it's Susan, because I love like in big, like Susan is a grown up, So naturally she has to use her legit voice. Mm-hmm. Like the teenager's belt. So Susan never could she. But then in dancing all the time when she like actually has fallen in love with the 12 year old, like, sure. In dancing all the time, she finds her belt. Yeah. Like, she's letting her inner child out, so she's allowed to belt now. She's, she still has to mix in there when she goes, the, my, what I'd give. True or false, Krista Moore was nominated for Tony Award for playing Louise. In Gypsy, yes. In Tyne Daly's Gypsy? Tyne Daly's Gypsy. Yes. The Gypsy recording that I love the most. And is she also now an Insta-thought? Because I couldn't find she's, her. You know, she's not around all the time. The last thing she did that I saw her in a press release for, and I went, you, was she played the Carly Carmelo role in the tour of Adam's Family. Oh, sure. Um, and when I saw it at the York, it was Carrie Butler. Yes. So who they, they is did great, a great choice for mm-hmm. this role. Like, on paper, it was a great choice. And then I saw it, and they took Dancing All the Time away from her. Which is stupid. And I was devastated. So that's, okay, that's a, put a pin in that, because we're going to get, when we go through the rest of the tracks that we love yes, very much. Yes, of course. We're going to get to post big, slash also, like, the creation of it, because there, there are a lot of songs that were written for this show that got cut, that got changed. They've infamously had the hardest time coming up with Susan's intro song, um, which on the cast album is Here We Go Again, which I love. Yeah. Um, but they, ha- they went through, like, five versions of it between the first rehearsal and Broadway opening. Um, 
They also had a hard time coming up the Act One finale, which became Cross the Line. They have I love it so much. They uh, fun was a whole different number out of town. It's a lot of stuff. Um, but yes, and then they made when the show closed, they made a bunch of changes, and I don't like the songs that they chose. But uh, that's to say, we just done can't wait. Uh, do you want to talk about talk to her? No, they no, make I a mean, Seinfeld like, it's, reference. It, yeah, it's they make a Seinfeld. It's exposition. It's, it is. You know, it's it's the plot beat that we need to get to before he can turn big. The most important thing about talk to her is that it's the only track that has Cynthia Benson on it. This is Derek. He drives. I can't specify enough how much I love her dialogue. Uh, we love Cynthia. Benson. <laughs> She's a treasure. Yeah. Moving on uh, to Josh is now big. He has his big song. This isn't me. Yeah. Uh, which is a fun song. Yeah. I mean, and he makes the requisite dick joke, like now mm-hmm. that he's 30, he likes yes. discovering his pajamas don't fit. Yes. There's a joke where he opens up his, he goes, I've gotten, and he opens his pants and looks at his genitalia and he goes, whoa. whoa. Uh, fun fact, that song was originally called Say Good Morning to Mom, which was basically a pantomime where Josh did not sing at all, but his mom did. Mrs. Baskin sang, like, get doing her morning routine, say good morning to mom, and we silently saw Josh discover that he was big. So it was very similar to the movie where Tom Hanks, like, was, like, running all over the house, like, trying to hide from his mom and, like, figure out what that crap happened to him. Um... I think it is a smart choice, though, to let us hear from the protagonist. I agree. They At the time, they said, well, he'd be too shocked to have thoughts. He'd just be scrambling. But then the audience was... Uh, no, they, I think they cut it in rehearsal because they were like, it, it doesn't work. So they moved a song that he had in Act 2, which was a title song called Big. And they made that his song out of town. And it was like a big rock and roll song where he's like, I'm big. Uh, I feel like parts of that still exist in the Act 2... Uh, like in the, the ballet. second to last song. Yeah, yeah in the like, ballet, I think. Big. Yeah, I think that's still partly in there. Um, but then they changed it to This Isn't Me, and that became the song on Broadway. I love it very much. Such a but good they cha- I, I don't know if they did this when you saw this at Mufti at the York, but I know for the licensed version, they changed it back to Say Good Morning to Mom, and I don't like it. Cause, a, I don't like the song. I don't think it's, oh, it's nice I feel sounding. like if they made that change, I would have remembered that more vividly. But also in the MTI version, they still have dancing all the time, and you told me at the York they cut it. They did. I, that I will never forget. I will never forgive them for that. Anyway. Well, actually, before we move on for a second, I need to borrow a segment from my other favorite podcast, Seek Treatment, where they go, are you mad at me? So Matt, will you ask me, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? Yes, I am. And I will tell you why. Because you did an entire episode about your obsession with Susical the Musical with the iconic Patrick Sulkin, and not once did you tell him about the funeral that we had when Susical closed. I where did. Matt I cut and it. I, I did. I cut it. Oh, you cut it. Oh, I it's such a it. good story. Tell the story. Matt damn it. and I in the fifth grade stayed in from recess, like the closeted gay boys we were, uh-huh. and literally, instead of going out to play like the other kids, played the Susical cast album and held a lunch time funeral for the closing of Susical the Musical. End of story. End of story. Yes, we did. Um, that is how long we've been friends. Bye. Great. So, <laughs> moving right along. Um, do we want Do we want to get right into fun? Do you want to do uh, I Want to Go Home? Well, I Want to Go Home. I'll tell you my story about I Want to Go Home. Go for it. I was doing a production of a new musical called A Little More Live at Kansas City Rep, written by Nick Blameyer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, it's about two brothers and their father, and their mother dies, and they discover that he, the father, not the father, the mother was having an affair for mm-hmm. the majority of their childhood, and that the dad knew about it, and just sort of the complexities of family and secrets and all that stuff. But Daniel Jenkins played the dad. And Daniel Jenkins was? 
the original Josh Baskin in uh, Big the Musical on mm-hmm. Broadway. And we were at a party at the Kansas City Rep Artistic Director's house, like to welcome us all there. And Nick at the piano starts playing I Want to Go Home. And Danny Jenkins, after like two beers, we were all having a great time, walks up to the piano and starts singing I Want to Go Home. Ugh. And I was like, this is one of the most surreal moments of my entire life. And the only time in my entire life that that has ever been surpassed in the middle of tech for summer on Broadway. Was it Broadway or was it La Jolla? One of the summer techs. We're sitting there like waiting for an automation cue to get written. Like everyone's loopy. It's like 10 in the evening. We've been there for 14 hours. And the rehearsal pianist starts playing the beginning of Waiting for Life to Begin. Like that dun 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 And LaShawn's, without missing a beat, turns around in her beaded blue ball gown and goes, a stranger in white in a car. And I literally got on the god mic and was like, LaShawn's 12-year-old me just had a fucking panic attack. <laughs> like, that was one of, like, Derek, uh, Derek, that, I'm mixing up all my names. Having Danny Jenkins sing I Want to Go Home in a world where, like, I am an adult working with him was one of the craziest experiences I've ever had. It's a lovely song, and Danny Jenkins is a national treasure. Um, I want to take a moment to talk about a lovely song in the show called Star, Star, Stars. Yes. Given that name because they didn't want anyone to be confused with stars from Les Mis. Yes. Um, And it is the moment in the show when it's the moment where Susan starts to look at Josh semi-romantically because she goes to his apartment. So Josh famously, like there's that famous scene at F.A.L. Schwartz where he's there and runs into the head of the toy company that he's going to work for and they play chopsticks on the piano. They play the giant piano and then nothing can be the same. No, nothing can be the same. Everything is different from now on. And he comes into work and he's among all these like grown-ups who don't know fun and toys and he basically shuts down all these toys that they were planning to release for the company uh, and so, like, the quote-unquote antagonist of the piece, uh, who is dating Susan Lawrence in the show, decides that he's going to destroy Josh, and to do so, he's sending his girlfriend Susan over to seduce him, because that's what you do in a healthy relationship. Um, so Susan goes to Josh's new apartment, where he has all these toys all over the place, and she's trying to seduce him. She, like, gives him some caviar, and he hates it, because he's 13. And he says, like, she's, like... Let's have, like I thought maybe I could stay the night, and he's like, like a sleepover. It's it's a great little joke. Um, it's so, his apartment that looks like it was decorated by an NBA player. I love it so much. Like MTV Cribs, like mm-hmm. it's great. Um, here's my pinball machine and my indoor pool. All celebrities and my basketball are court. all celebrities are basically twelve year olds. I've come to realize. Uh, but so he's like, let's play some games, and he can't think of anything for her to play. So he's like, I got it. So he projects the universe onto his apartment. And gives her a little compass ring, and he sings this song called I Can Give You Stars. Like, stars, I can give you stars. And it's such a lovely song, and it's the moment, it's the first time where she slowly lets go of, like, her jaded adultness, and she goes, I'm gonna let myself enjoy this. Stars, here I am in stars, floating in a warm kind of funk, out in space. On a bunk in stars, he just gave me stars. I've been looking down for too long, but since I've left the ground, all around. Yeah, it's a beautiful little song, and it's the beginning of their 
gray area relationship. Um, the grayest. The grayest. Like well, Fifty because, Shades of. Of. And it's because he gave her stars, and no man ever gave her stars before. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and then they have a kiss at the end of Act One at a lovely party at Tavern on the Green, where after everyone... After they sing the greatest song, Cross the Line. Cross the Line, which... I, Every after, show choir stream. After reading Making It Big, they struggled with many time. There's a wonderful video on YouTube of one of the ensemble members going through all the different versions of the Act 1 finale that they had. And just like, you can tell each one, you're like, that's not it. That's not it. And then he's, they start the vamp across the line because it starts, it's so much fun. And immediately hearing it, you're like, yeah, that's the finale. But now tell me, I don't remember, Cross the Line takes place at a work event yes, for Josh. A- how do they justify the children being there? It's so the from reading the, the book because again I haven't seen the show in so long. It's employees bring their families because it's important for McMillan that they reconnect with what kids want because yep, toys, that's, yep. and it's the reason why Josh got promoted as fast as he did because no one in the company knows what kids want and Josh the only one was like, "What about making it fun?" And they're like. Oh, fun! What the, it's it is a very like simplistic viewpoint of corporation yeah. life, um, corporation life, corporate life. Uh, it's a it's I a mean, very corporation simpl- life is what I dream of. That's that'll be the name of my first drag show, corporation. Taraway pants and corporation life. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but yes, Susan kisses Josh and he has this wonderful moment where he thinks about how she just kissed him and he has this lovely part where he sings, "I feel tall, I feel grown, I feel big." Um, and it's it's so epic and it's musical theatery and the orchestra comes in with the brass. It's it's so good. It's so musical theater. And Billy gets rejected by Josh because Josh is like, I'm choosing the adult world now. And that's when Act Two starts and Billy is and pissed. That is where Josh and Susan's sexual relationship should end. <laughs> yes, for him. Well, be, this, so here's the thing. Josh is 13. He's not going to make, like, good decisions. And Susan but, yeah. doesn't know that he's Let's not 13. Let's spare Susan the trauma. Sure. Let's, uh, you're only thinking of Susan, and I love you for that. We should always just be thinking about Susan's trauma. Um, yeah. Here's the thing about Big that has always kind of been problematic for the writers of the show. And it's something that I have a problem with with Wizard of Oz. Your protagonist... Something happens to your protagonist, this wonderful thing, and there's a whole new world, and all they want is to go back to the stupid way that it was before. Like, I... Okay, oh. like, drag a classic. Well, like, think about it. Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's all like, I want to go someplace cool that's not gray. And she goes into this amazing land of Oz, and all she wants is to go back to the gray world. And you're like, bitch! I mean, granted, yeah, there's a witch who wants to kill you, but at the same time, like, there's a great scarecrow. There are munchkins who love you. Like, you, get, you have a lollipop the size of an apartment building. <laughs> Like, live in it for a minute. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Josh. I'm like, you're a grown-ass man. Like, live in the moment for a second. Yeah. Well, but, so I feel like by the end of Act 1, when he's, like, he having the time does. of his life, he's like, yeah, I could stay here for a Yeah, well, it's, that's when the story turns, because the whole point of Act 1 is, like, okay, he all he wants is to go back to being a kid, and they've got to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah. But then the wrench in the plan is, at the end of Act 1, oh, actually, I do like being an adult. And, like, everything's easy for me now. And then Billy... Is so emotionally devastated that he, he has to pissed. rap about going to the mall. He does. Time to hang with my friends out at the mall. But my best, best friend, friend still, still didn't call. call. All the plans we made are in the crapper. I'm so pissed. I'm talking like a rapper. It's great. Um, Malpy and Shire, baby. The show also, they talk about it in the book. And as you listen to the score, you kind of realize it. Like the, as, the kids are also growing up 
yeah. while this is happening to Josh. And they use the kid ensemble, not as like a Greek chorus, but like as a checking in point of where the kids in Josh's life are at while he's ha- while this is all happening to him. Mm-hmm. And you see them start to grow up and like they also start pairing off with each other because like the show starts and it's Josh and Billy are having these like emotional sexual feelings about girls that they don't quite understand. And then the end of the show is the kids are finally learning what to do with those feelings. And it's like, oh, maybe we could date for a minute right. and like do all these wonderful things but it's the different i don't know it's the difference between 12 and 13 that massive i mean 12 feels like one of the youngest ages in the world and mm-hmm. 13 feels like one of the oldest but like it like looking back at it like 12 and 13 link together sure it's mean, like 14 yeah 14 is a whole different ball game i mean yes i don't think there's that much of a difference truly but that's coming from where we're at now. When Turning you, 13 is a big deal. Yes, you you think you're such an adult when you turn th- 13 because all of a sudden you're finally a teenager. But what can you do? There's like not even like 18, 16, 21. There's, there's there are like do. legal things that mark those birthdays. Like, thir- like I guess you could, as they say in big, go to flicks rated PG-13. G-13. It's time. I guess um, that's the big, you can go to the movies. You can. And I mean, just in a lot of dramatic works, and I say dramatic in terms of like, things that people have been in. Not that they're all traumas. Right. Big, 13 going on 30. Anything that has an actor in it is dramatic. When you're you're in that moment as a teenager, I think 13 definitely feels like a rite of passage. Yeah. Even though you look back on it. And that's one of the things about themes of Big is like you look back on it and you're like... I may be the dumbest person in the world. Probably. 13 going on 30 is based on Big? I don't think it's based on Big. It's a similar concept, but Did they have to buy the rights? No. Well, because unlike Big... She moves forward in time. So she speeds through her her adolescent years, but, like, in real time. So in Big, he grows up, but everything else is the same. Like, he's just physically grown up. In 13 going on 30, she wishes to be 30, and it just flashes forward 17 years, but she's emotionally still where she was the day before. Does she fall in love with a man that needs trauma counseling? Um, No, because they go back to her original age in the original time, and everything's fine. Oh, my God, I was brave. I thought nothing ahead could hurt me Plunging forward, worst that could be Couldn't face indestructible me I was laughing all the time I was dancing all the time I had all the time In the world I love in Act 2, Dancing All the Time is such a beautiful song where Susan Lawrence finally, like, starts to channel her inner child and she remembers how she was 12 and alive. Yes. It's a beautiful song. And then she and she Josh... She was dancing, she was running. And she says to Josh, but now with you, I'm, dan- I'm smiling and dancing all the time. And we have all the time in the world. And they make love. Okay, I have... And here okay, comes... so much to talk about. Here comes the dramatic part of Big. I was listening to Dancing All the Time, which is, like, great song, like... Love it so love much. Love it so much. And then in the second half of Dancing All the Time, young Josh shows up. Yes. And he sings a hauntingly beautiful Mm -hmm. song about, like, a woman's touch Mm -hmm. and, like, what it feels like. And I'm sorry, but, like, the vibes are weird. Like, he's so pure that his ooze are an angelic hoot. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and she's li- she's having sex with him. Yes. And for a second, I was like, I'm not going to read the synopsis. I refuse to believe this. They're just they're they're making out. That is all that's happening. But then Josh shows up the next morning and sings "Coffee Black," which is him like, I'm a man now. And I'm like, this we will never we can never go back to before. Krista I'm convinced more slept with a twelve year old. <laughs> I'm convinced that. If the song were in a lower key for him, it would be less creepy. Because yes. in the key that it's in, it is so high and he's just such a boy soprano. Because the thing about that song is like, because he's officially 13 by this point, but like... I, Doesn't make it legal. Well, no, not legal, but just... It's it's as if we, the audience, were like, well, kids don't have these thoughts. It's like, yes, kids have these thoughts. Um, and like, in a way, it's it's an unconventional way for him to grow up, and I'm not condoning the action, people. Before you clutch your pearls, I'm not saying that. Right. But it's an art. It's an artistic and dramatic gray area of this is for him. You know, it's it's him finally like manning up because until now everything has just been an idea do of you adulthood. Know what, do you know what I would have done? What one day when I direct big. So I think having young Josh, I think the idea of having young Josh show up to comment is a good device Mm -hmm. because it reminds us that older Josh is not an adult. Mm -hmm. But having him show up and sing this beautiful solo while they're literally having sex is a little creepy. Maybe we can have young Josh show up and sing little moments inside Coffee Black. Like, if he's dancing around, singing this up-tempo, and then he has to stop for a second because young Josh, in the back of his mind, is like, what the fuck is happening? This is, like, like some Sondheim-level stuff right maybe here. Maybe there's a way to, like, get that device in the show that isn't so explicitly, like, Susan's having sex with a 12-year-old. Maybe. I mean, that's that's just, like, very passion uh, merrily we roll along stuff going on right there with like well, big an production artist, number so. and like halfway through this big twist of emotional devastation yeah. Um, yeah. she's an artist I mean it's also a beautiful song and it's the song that uh, is the majority of the overture and it's the melody is gorgeous I mean I, I maintain if the song I because I think the idea is right and I don't think that it's in bad taste I just think that the key is too high and it really right. drives home how young he is if but also were, he's talking about like just like the way he talks about women, uh-huh. it's like he's putting, like, it's this child putting women on a pedestal yeah. in a way that it just feels like anything they could have done to highlight the creep factor, they did. Well, and he has to kind of go, for lack of a better term, he has to go in deep so that way we can see how, like, <laughs> no, ano, how ano no. for, no, I, know. I just want no, slurpy but, sounds, slurpy I mean, sounds, like, slurpy I mean, sound. I mean emotionally, because then... In this song that we both famously skip a lot, the real thing, yes. which is when he meets Susan's friends, because he's like, I'm an adult now. I've had sex with a woman. I have a job. I know what it means to be an adult. And then, like, he realizes there's so much that he's missed, and he's actually done himself a disservice by jumping in headfirst into this experience that you really shouldn't yeah. uh, do that with. Uh that it's that it was the wrong choice. I think the show understands that it was the wrong choice, and it takes until three scenes later for Josh also, to realize Also, like, if you want to make the show shorter, here you go. They're going to have sex. 
something, some conflict, dramatic conflict happens, they don't have sex, it sends Josh into a spiral, you go into when you're big and speed to the end of the play. Sure. We don't need Susan's friends, we don't need... Done. Th- well, yeah, so what if... 90 minutes, what, move, no move the nightmare to after dancing all the time. So yes, he's exactly. She's singing dancing all the time, they start to make out, and he's singing, girls smell like girls, women wear perfume, and then it goes right into the nightmare, and that's when he's like, I can't! Yes, make it a night... It's, it's oh, yes, done. That's, big... There's a big TYA version for MTI. We'll is make, there really? There, there is. Yeah, we'll make we'll make those changes for them. They closed after six months. It won no Tony Awards. It was all about rent and bring into noise, bring into funk that year. Um, and they made a lot of changes. They brought back songs that they had cut. For example, Say Good Morning to Mom. Susan's song, they went back to an earlier song that they wrote for her called My Secretary's in Love. And I really don't want to mean dis- any disrespect. I think it's a terrible song both in terms of just construction and I think it's an awful introduction to Susan because it's based off of a joke in the movie where she's talking about how her secretary's engaged and she can't get any work done. It's just like a line in the movie. She's like, she writes out her married name and like all different ways she can be married and she sometimes does it with a hyphen. Sometimes she spells the hyphen. And this replaced Dancing All the Time? No, this replaced Here We Go Again. So the original Here We Go Again is like, it's going back and forth where there's a there's a speedier version of the song where she's like, this is my life now, and like, here we go again. And then it goes into like a lilty part where she's like, this is what I wish, and I ho- wish I was on a beach, and I had a pina colada, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, me too, girl. I mean, who doesn't? But they change it to the song where she's like, my secretary's in love, and I'm not getting anything done. And it's just very mean, and it's cold. And like, yeah, she's a cold woman in the beginning, but we need to care about her. And I think Here We Go Again made us do that. We were like, this is a woman who, you know, she works hard, she plays hard, but she also, like, she's got some conflict within her, and there, these are things she wants. And they even make a reference to stars, where she says, beneath them, they yes, they do. Stars. Yes, they do. So you hear, Big is also a show that has a million I Want songs. Yeah, it really does. Uh, Can't Wait's an I Want song. I Want to Go Home is an I Want song. Yeah. Here We Go Again is an I Want yeah. song. Stop Time is an I Want song. Um, there's so many I Want I songs. I want a lot of things. Everybody wants it so much. And then by the end of the show, nobody I wish gets a anything. a lot of things. No, at the end of the show, nobody gets what they want, except for Josh who goes home. Uh, but yeah, they changed it to My Secretary's in Love. I don't like it. Um, I'm just going to continue to cherish. It's how I feel like after seeing the original cast of Wicked, mm-hmm. like I'm hesitant to go back. Like yeah. I had such a wonderful time. It's such a cherished memory. I'm good. Like, yeah. I'm good now. The big cast album is such a cherished memory in my brain that I'm sort of like, I'm going to let this live like this. You're telling it stop time. I am telling it stop time. I was going to ask, like, what track should someone listen to if they want to, like, get into big? But then I was like, start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. That overture is amazing. Yeah. The Um, opening number is really good. If there was one song that you would have to pick from that cast album that you, like, that's the only song that could live on your iPod or your iPhone forever, like, what would it be? Okay, well, so I have to be specific. Like, what it like? Is this a playlist? Like, what activity is the playlist for? Like, just answer because, the damn like, question. Because like, it's time. Yeah. Like, will never not bring me joy. It's also a bit like, of a bop. Yeah, like it's a bop. Like listening to those teenagers rap about going to the mall. Yeah. Like, will always be a yeah. bop. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I would probably say the same. Yeah. Uh, but it, Cross the Line is so good. To be perfectly honest, I would say it's time Cross the Line and uh, the opening song would have to, like, battle it out yeah. for my attention. But if, like, you know, gun to my head, I would probably say it's time. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's so much fun. Well, Mike, this has been lovely. Oh my god, um, is it over? It's over. We've been recording for... It's... I'm looking at the battery life and I'm getting nervous. Yes, yes. Uh, but, like, that's fine. I think we're okay. Um, 
Yeah, this has been lovely, Mike. Where can people find you online? Where can people find me online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram mm-hmm. at Mike A. Bello, uh, or you can visit my website, michaelbello.com. Uh, that's about it. My Facebook is for me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah. Yeah. You can find me at Matt Koplik. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, somebody write a new review because it's been, it's been a hot minute. It's been like three months and I love reading the reviews. I think they're so much fun and I'm not saying that it'll bring John back faster, but like it might. John. I know. We love John. We do love John. He's recuperating. He's doing really well. We're so happy. But I think he'll get better faster, guys, if you write us some nice big old gay reviews. Yeah. It's like Tinkerbell with the clapping. Yes. Um, And if you live in a city with a Broadway Across America venue, in the coming year, you should absolutely go see the Donna Summer musical. You will have the time of your lives. mm -hmm. You will dance in the audience. And you will have the the best evening. Toot toot beep beep. Toot toot. Uh, Mike, we always close out with a Broadway diva. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I would like you to pick our diva for us to close us out. Um, I mean, you can stay in theme with big, uh, or you could try to go outside the box. The problem is, is we've had a lot of women. Hmm. You've done LaShawn's. Yes, we have. You've done LaShawn's. Um, can I be really specific? Sure. Can you use the bridge from Enough is Enough on the summer original Broadway cast album? Oh, I guess, well, I guess that would be Ariana DeBose, would it not? Yeah. Well, and Storm Lever. Okay, yeah, that counts. It's some really good singing. Great. So Ariana DeBose and Storm Lever are our two... This is probably the first time we've had two divas together. Yes, double diva. Double diva. Double dipping. Double P diva. Yes. All right. So this has been Broadway Breakdown, My Obsession. I am Matt Koplik. You are listening now to Ariana DeBose and Storm Lever saying enough is enough is enough. Uh, Until next time, guys. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.